You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Dan Jetto. Welcome to my living room again. I'm here to share the message this week for River Rock Church. About once every six, six weeks I get to do that. I have my cup of coffee with me. I've got my slippers on. And so that I won't feel so alone, I've got some friends with me on the couch next to me to uh, uh, later help me critique my message. Uh, and I hope you are comfortable and, and ready to hear from God today. And, and I think it's fitting in these times to share the message of the triumphal entry uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Jesus came into Jerusalem and the people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just as they were feeling oppressed and they were feeling uh, uh, broken and torn down by the Roman government who was oppressing them, right now in our world, we feel oppressed too. But we're not oppressed by a government, we're oppressed by a virus. And so we feel the same anxieties, the same feeling like we're trapped, feeling like uh, we have no freedom. And they're crying out to Jesus, uh, Hosanna. And Hosanna means save or save now. And the implied message is, please save us. The people in Jer Jerusalem were praising and worshiping Jesus, hoping that he was coming to set them free from the Romans and to give them peace. They longed for that freedom and that peace. Again, many of us feel trapped uh, in some way today because of, of a virus, an RN, uh, RNA strand, wearing a, uh, a protein coat uh, as the government in Rome could take a person's life without any reason, uh, a relatively little reason. We have a virus that's indiscriminately killing people in our society. We have our government telling people that they can't go to work, so they've been robbed of their livelihood. Uh, we have all uh, worried about our health and about the health of those people around us. We long for peace and normalcy to return. So today is a good day to cry out, Hosanna, please save us, Jesus. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us to look at how Mark described that, uh, that coming into Jerusalem. And I want to talk about how that can affect us today. And not just looking at when Jesus came into Jerusalem, but what happened immediately after in the, in the days to come. As we focus on that, we'll begin to see how we can shout Hosanna and see the God who saves live and work in our lives and how we can live a life of worship of the God who saves. So let's look at Mark chapter one, 11, verses 1 through 11. It says, When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage in Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside the, on, in the street, tied by the door. He untied it, and some of those standing there said, What are you doing untying the colt? And they answered them, just as Jesus had said. So they let, let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches out cut from fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So as we look at this passage, we need to understand what's happening here, but also what's going to happen next. So what happens next? So Jesus comes in and there's this, this triumphal entry and then he leaves the city and he goes back out uh, for overnight. But the next day he comes in and he, and he cleanses the temple. So he throws out the money changers and the people who were extorting others uh, by selling them animals at exorbitant prices. And he challenges the priests for their price gouging because they're getting a cut of all these sales. And, and then later in this week, he's going to be betrayed by one of his friends. One of his disciples is going to sell him uh, for money uh, uh, to, the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees so they'd be turned over. And then finally, at the end of the week, Jesus will be crucified and we'll see that he dies on the cross for us. But then he is resurrected. Uh, and it's all because the crowd was was disaffected. They were disillusioned. They didn't understand who Jesus really was. And when their expectations weren't met, they wanted to strike out at him. But what about those who were followers of Jesus? People like us and the people like his disciples. What about them? What did they see on this day? Well, they saw a king who comes in peace. A king who comes in peace. Jesus coming in peace. They saw people submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ, worshiping him as Lord, proclaiming him as their king. And, and they also saw people praise him as the God who saves, as the Messiah. Jesus proclaimed himself Messiah in this, and they were proclaiming him as Messiah. A week later, so when we come into Good Friday, uh, what we call Good Friday, Jesus' followers will be devastated by his death. But then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Jesus rises again and shows himself to them, and they are overwhelmed with joy and peace and hope because now they really truly see that Jesus is a God who can save. Because he saved himself from death, he can save us. Jesus is a God who saved who saves. He's the God that we should worship and live a life of worship as the God who saves. While some in this passage were crying, Hosanna has a singular act of worship. The true believers were following Jesus, and that was just one part of a life of worship that they had begun to develop, and one which would continue as they uh, meet the resurrected Jesus, and one which continues into eternity for those who believe. We will worship until time is no more, and then we will continue to worship. Worship, it's a way to live. That's my bumper sticker today. Worship, it's a way to live. Conversely, when we quit worshiping, we start dying. Our spiritual, emotional, and sometimes even our physical lives suffer because we lose hope, we lose the joy, we lose the peace that comes in, uh, from being in the presence of Jesus. Acts of worship end, but a life of worship is eternal. And that's the point that I want to get across. And that's what I hope that we can strive to do, is to begin to live a life of worship as opposed to performing singular acts of worship. 
So let's look at the passage as we begin to tear this apart uh, and look at the people who were crying Hosanna in the, in the sense that they were believers. And the passage begins, first of all, with a couple of miracles. The first miracle, Jesus knows exactly where this cult is, and he knows exactly the response that the, the, the people are going to have when the disciples come to take the cult. And he tells the disciples exactly what to do, exactly where to go, and it happens exactly as Jesus said. It proves that he is the all-knowing God, that he is omniscient. Note that the owner and the owner's servants did not know or expect that Jesus was going to use this cult. And that's why they asked the questions, what are you doing? And the disciples have to answer them. But they let him untie the cult. They let them untie the cult and take uh, the cult to Jesus. The second miracle is that the cult is completely submissive and allowed Jesus to ride him. Jesus in this miracle demonstrates that he is the God of all creation. He is the Lord of nature. And that this colt, which has never been ridden, never had anything on it before, lets Jesus get on him and it peacefully is allowed to be led through the streets so that Jesus can come in as the king coming in peace. Now, I would not advise any one of us to jump on the back of an unbroken horse, donkey, colt, because they are going to try to violently remove you from their back and make you walk on your own two feet. I've seen it happen. Um, I've experienced a little bit of that myself. But this was not the case with the foal. The colt was completely submissive. Now, the cult also is significant in itself in two different ways. One, when Jesus comes riding in on the cult, he fulfills a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it says this in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the religious leaders recognized the symbolism, and so did the people. And that's why they were crying out, Hosanna, and calling Jesus the son of David, and uh, talking about restoring the kingdom of David in Jerusalem. And the second part of that is that the cult symbolizes also that Jesus is coming in peace. If a king came riding in on a colt of a donkey, he was coming in peace. If he came in on a horse, he was coming as a conquering warrior. And so Jesus is coming as a king who brings peace to the people, not as a conquering warrior. Now he is, uh, when he comes again, going to come as a conquering warrior. And we see that described in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. And I'm going to jump to verse 16 too. And it describes this. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will come again as a warrior. He will come as a conquering king. He will come to conquer Satan and to put Satan and his minions into hell and all of those who did not follow Jesus. Jesus will come again. Now, when Jesus came as a king of peace, he brought hope. 
He brought joy. He brought peace with him. And we see this if we look at the Christmas story and you just listen to the song of the angels and what the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. And it said, the angel said this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born to you. Remember Hosanna? God who saves was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and then lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Jesus himself says in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is the hope. We know that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, if we are trusting him for our eternal life, that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. We have that hope. And then goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We should see Jesus as the king who comes in peace. We should live a life of worship of the God who saves because he is our king coming to bring us peace. He came to reconcile us, to redeem us, to adopt us into his family. In fact, Paul writes in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, for himself, according to his good to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. God wanted to adopt us as his children. He wanted to bring us peace. He wanted to reconcile us to himself because we were sinners who were separated from God. And Jesus takes away that, uh, that separation. And he brings peace. He brings peace to us between himself and, and between us and between us and God. He is truly worthy of a life of worship. It's the God who saves the king who comes in peace. Now the rest of the passage describes the actions of the people worshiping him. And it says they were throwing down their cloaks in front of him and placing branches in his path. And this is a sign of humility and submission and a statement that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is their king. Now, there's only one other place in Scripture where we see this type of action, and that is in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, and it's with the king Jehu. Now, Jehu was sent to wipe out basically all of Ahab's family, if I remember correctly, but the prophet Elijah had called Jehu aside at one point, and he gave him a message from God. And in verse 11 through 13, this is a response when Jehu was asked by his people what Elisha had said to him. And when Jehu came out to his, to his master's servants, they asked, is everything all right? Why did this crazy person come to you? That's what they're calling the prophet. And then he said to them, you know the sort, their sort, the sort of, uh, and their ranting, but they replied, that's a lie. Tell us, because they saw right through him. So Jehu said, he talked to me about this and that and said, and it's funny how he throws this in at the end. This is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. And each man quickly took off his garment and put it under Jehu on the bare steps and they blew the ram's horn and proclaimed Jehu is king. 
So they're placing the cloaks, they're placing the branches, they're showing to everybody around that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the King, that they were going to put themselves in submission to him, at least on that day. The passage shows to us that if we want to live a life of worship, it requires that we place ourselves in submission to Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Living a life of worship to the God who saves is living in submission to the King of Kings. This means we have to live in obedience to his commands, knowing that he is also a God who loves us so dearly that he was willing to suffer, and we see this at the end of this week, the most horrible death on the cross so that we could have peace with him and so that we could join him eternally in heaven. Jesus himself says that we can show our love for him by obeying his commands. And the chief command, the new command that he gave us in John chapter 13 is to love one another as he has loved us. It says this, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then shortly later in John 14, he says this, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and uh, make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. We follow the commands of Jesus to show him that we love him. We want to show him that we love him. So it's not out of duty that we show this love, that we do this obedience. We do it out of love. We want to show Jesus that we love him, so we obey him, and we should want to obey his commands. Now the passage continues. The people are shouting this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They are loud. They are unashamedly proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. It is obvious to all, and Jesus is not denying it. Note that Jesus does not deny being called the Messiah here. He's not saying, um, you know, you probably should be saving that for somebody else. No, he, he's riding in on that donkey. He's taking that position of lordship. He's taking that position of kingship. They don't understand it yet, but that's what he's doing. They don't understand that he's not coming as a political king, but he's coming as a spiritual king, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When Luke wrote about this in his parallel passage in, in Luke 19, we find that everybody understood this, including the Pharisees, and the Pharisees became rather upset. And they told Jesus that, that he needs to make them shut up. And, and, and here's how Jesus replies. And, and, and Luke writes this like this. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, no, I'm not going to tell them to stop proclaiming the truth. He's telling the Pharisees, you should be joining in. He's telling the Pharisees, I am the Messiah. I accept this praise. I accept this adulation. I accept what they are saying, and that's because I am God. Now, if we want to live a life of worship, 
to the God who saves, we should also be singing and praying and lifting our praises to him. If we don't, creation itself will start to shout the praises of God. It's a natural response to a supernatural uh, savior to sing praises to him, to pray to him, to praise him for all that he is and all that he has done. Now, I'm going to step back now. We're going to step out of the passage because I want you to see how this can apply to our lives. I want you to see why this is important for us to, to live this life of worship to a God who saves. You see, right now our world is oppressed. It's oppressed by a virus. It cannot think. It simply is. We are doing everything we can as a nation to try to stop and to save people, as other nations have done also. And we're trying to prevent new infections. That's why we're trapped in our homes, or we're supposed to have the stay-at-home order here in Minnesota. And if we let our entire focus turn to the circumstances that we are in, our lives will be filled with fear. They'll be filled with worry. They'll be filled with frustration. We'll be uh, concerned about what could be, and we will click quickly slip into de hopelessness, an unbearable despair. We, we will fall into depression. We will fall in, into a life of pain and, and uh, discomfort and hurt and lack of peace that can never be. But by living a life of worship, one that is focused on Jesus, who he is, what he's doing, what he has promised, Focusing on the God who saves, living a life of worship of the God who saves, it will lift us out of our despair. It will lift us out of our hopelessness. It will lift us out of our fear and frustration. It gives us confidence, peace, hope, and joy founded in the resurrection of the God who saves. He is our peace. He is our confidence. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our healer. He is our coming king. So we need to change our focus to him. Off of the virus, yes, we still need to think about the virus, but we need to be focused on God. We need to have our hearts focused there. We need to have our thoughts focused there. We need to have our minds focused there. Our actions should be focused on worshiping and praising God. And when we do that, when we focus on the worshiping the God who saves, we will find that peace and joy that we need. We need to recognize that he is the king who comes in peace. And there's a whole bunch of different verses that we can turn to, that we can begin to memorize, that will bring peace to our hearts, that we can stand on, that we can have confidence in, because God never changes, God never lies. He's always the same, and he is faithful, more faithful than we can understand and more faithful than we could ever be. And some examples... In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Um, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Now if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Who doesn't need wisdom today? Think about all of the people who are making decisions that can affect the rest of their lives today. We need that wisdom, and we can get it. We have the confidence that God will give it to us if we will turn to him, if we will focus on him. 
And then he goes on in Romans chapter 8, it says, Who can separate us from the love of God? Can affliction or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including viruses, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have these promises that we can lean on. We need to recognize that Jesus has come to bring us peace. His peace can be found in his word. His peace can be found in trusting in him. His peace can be found in trusting in the words that he's given us. We also need to live a life of submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ask God to help you live in obedience to his word. David in Psalm 119 repeatedly asked God to help him obey and understand and hold on to the God's commands. In Psalm 119.9 he says, and uh, through 11 he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Psalm 139, David praised for God to search him and help him. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And we need to praise this God. We're going to live a life of worship of the God who saves. We need to praise him as the God who saves. We need to unashamedly worship him, praising him with song and prayer. When Paul and Silas were in prison, chained after having been beaten, they sang and prayed. And you know what happened? God showed up. They sang and prayed, and God showed up. He set them free. He broke the bonds that they were in. He threw the jail doors open, and the jailer came running in and was going to commit suicide. And Paul and Silas cried out. God showed up. Not only were they freed, but uh, the jailer and his family were saved. The jailer and his family came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and received eternal life that day. Here's what it says in, the, in that passage. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because we are all here and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sing and pray together with your family. Uh, do it with friends over Skype if you have to, or some other sharing form. Zoom, there's so many programs out there that we can use. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says this, Again, I truly, again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am among them there. We can gather together and pray against this virus. I don't believe that it's God's plan to wipe out this earth by this virus. We can pray for our friends. We can pray for our parents. I know I'm concerned about my parents. Um, they are not in the best of health. Uh, this virus would very easily could take their lives. I would pray, and I am praying, that God would uh, protect them. We can do that together with their families. And finally, I want you to look at the disciples. 
Here's what the disciples went through in that week. They went from great joy as they saw Jesus coming into the, the, uh, into the city, being praised as the Messiah and the King, and they were uh, shouting and singing along with the people. And then they saw Jesus crucified and buried, and they went, went into the depths of despair. But they didn't give up. They didn't know what to do, but they didn't give up. They felt helpless. They didn't understand what was happening. Maybe that's the way that you feel today. But they continued to cry out to God. The thing you need to know is Jesus was still in control. Even though he was crucified, even though he had, he had died, Jesus was still in control. And they only had to wait a little bit. They had to wait three days. And then they, the resurrection. And, and the despair was gone. The, their hope was unending. Their joy was uncontainable. And their desire to spread the good news that Jesus Christ was alive, that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, was more powerful than the virus is today. And they let that message permeate our earth. And that's why we're even here today. It's because that message is continuing to be spread. And we need to be that hope, that joy, that energy that can overcome the despair that viruses and other tragedies of our world bring. Pray for God to infect us with a joy and a hope and a desire to spread the good news to those who are in despair. Joy is not additive, it multiplies. So when we share our joy, it's not one plus one. It's exponential. It's two times, two times, two times, two times, two. And it grows at a rate just like we see the, the, the virus infection rate climbing on the graphs that they show us every night in the news. We can help lift the spirits of those of our, in our world who are in despair if we will live. If we will live a life of worship, if we will live a life of worship of the God who saves. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.